Good morning. I know we're Baptists, but I was expecting to hear a big amen to that. I really pray that today there's a breakthrough, that there's a miracle in your life, in my life first. We started last week studying what we commonly know as the Lord's Prayer. And this prayer, just knowing that it is the words coming out of our Lord's mouth, telling us this is how you should pray, should be important enough that we, we give it a second look, we keep coming back to it. And, and I have done so. And I have found that it is very interesting that within this prayer, there is one sentence that is very special. Not only the Lord started responding to his disciples when they said, teach us how to pray, by saying, this is how you should pray. But in the middle of the prayer, there are several sentences. We analyzed each one last week. But there was one that we jumped over, right? You, you, you noticed, and I said, come back next week. And uh, I see uh, uh, most of the faith. I, th I think I see everybody that was here last week. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I introduced the subject like that. And it, the, the, the statement that we skipped over last week was, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, Forgiveness of sins. It is an amazing subject by itself. Have your sins been forgiven? We, I have a lot of questions about forgiveness. And I don't have all the answers. I, might, I probably won't be able to answer today some of the questions that I'm going to be raising. Because how could a human being understand what's in God's mind, except what he has revealed. There's a principle about inter interpretation of the Bible that everything we know about God is because God revealed it. None of us can sit down and meditate and push hard and uh, uh, do exercises or do anything in his or her own power to learn something about God that God hasn't revealed to us. So there are a lot of things that our inquisitive minds would like to know. And one of them, in my mind, is how does forgiveness work? And I read the Bible, and I accept what the Bible says, but it is hard for me to understand how could God forgive my sins because Jesus died on the cross, but that's what the Bible says. But as we think about these questions, as, as we think about how come God can apply Jesus' justice to me that don't deserve it at all, we get into passages like today and find that during that 
questioning and trying to learn more about God and His love and His mercy for us, we run into passages that are not about giving us answers, but giving us commands, giving us instructions on things that we need to do. And here comes the problem. We want to understand more. But the commands are clear, very easy to understand. And we don't obey the commands. And when we don't obey the commands, we keep thinking that we can learn more and understand more. So the Lord is hopefully going to talk to us today about something that we need to do. Now, I think there's a special part, as I said before, in this prayer, and it's on, on verse 12. Forgive us our debts. This is the only part of this prayer that has a contingency on us. Did you notice that? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's an implicit contingency there. There's an implicit thing that we should live a life that makes his name hallowed, right? That's implicit. Your kingdom come. There's an implicit contingency there that when we ask God that his kingdom come, we're going to enter. We're going to live by the kingdom's rules, right? That's, that's implicit and so forth in the rest of them. But there's one where it's very explicit, and it says, it's verse 12, forgive us our debts, this is the pay attention moment, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, it is special, not just because there is, it is the only one that has a contingency on it, but it is also because when Jesus ends the prayer, and we, we have the tendency to break the Bible, to break God's Word into, into pieces, right? This is the Lord's Prayer. It starts here, ends here, right? But this is all part of one uh, sermon from Jesus that starts on chapter 5 and ends on chapter 7. It's all part of one teaching that flows, doesn't stop on verse 13 as we stopped last week verse 13. But if you look at verse 14, you will notice something very interesting that starts with the word for. What does the word for mean? It means that what I'm going to say now is, depends on what I just said. So we should not stop on verse 13 when we think about the Lord's Prayer. And after he says, this is how you should pray, and finishes this, the, the, the prayer, the Lord says, let me go back to one of the sentences I just talked about. And which sentence would that be? In verse 14, then, it says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So after the Lord taught his disciples the prayer that we repeat so much, he found that it was important to go back to one of the sentences in the middle of that prayer in case they didn't notice that that sentence was very special. And he says, for if. Now, you in English have an advantage over us Spanish speakers. 
Because in Spanish, there's a word si, S-I. And I guess most of you know what si means, right? Yes. Not really. Half of the time, si could mean yes. The other half means if. So there are several times in the, in the Bible that you find the word see, and you have to look at the context to know if it is affirming something or if it's conditioning something. So, but you have it very clear. No confusion here in this audience. What does if mean? It is a condition. And what is a condition? A condition is something in any contract that puts... Uh, a clause, an exit. If this happens, then the next. In logic, in computers, we, we, we use ifs a lot. And we use it to preclude something from happening if the condition is not met. And what is the condition? It says, for if... You forgive men when they sin against you. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I guess that is something that brings a lot of fear to my heart. I don't know about yours. Because it is putting a condition on the forgiveness of my sins. A condition that I tend to overlook. I'd rather concentrate in the theological truths that say that all my sins were erased in the cross of Christ. And in the cross, he paid for all my sins. I don't have to worry about any of that anymore. And then I read this verse, I'm going like, wait a minute. The Lord is telling me that there is a condition. And that condition has to do with me. And that condition has to do with what's in my heart today. If you forgive. Now, the theological truths, something that, you know, for centuries, very, very smart people have studied the word and have come up with Um, some conclusions, some truths, uh, they are very good. I'm not, I'm not discarding any of them. All of, all the ones that you read in the books of theology and doctrine, they are really, really good um, interpretations of what's in the Bible. But when we go into the Bible, And we find words that come directly from the word, from the mouth of Jesus. Then we should pay attention. We should pay attention. I'm not claiming here that your sins were not paid for in the cross of Christ. I'm not claiming here that you will lose your salvation. How do I reconcile these words with those truths? 
Ephesians chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles and want to go there with me, chapter 4, verse 31, 31st. Paul is considered one of the greatest theologians. He was able to bring down to earth some of these truths that are so, were so difficult to understand. And he was able to interpret, and he was also given a lot of um, revelation from God to tell us some of these theological truths, that doctrines that we believe. Yet, if you notice in his books, all of them, well, with one exception, um, most of the first half of his letters were about setting up the truth, what you would call the theoretical truths. And then the second half were applying those truths to real life. And we have a good example here in Ephesians chapter 4. If you look at the whole chapter, he's talking about things that you and I need to do every day. In the first chapters, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the, the relationship between the church and God. But then in chapter 4, he starts talking about what you and I need to do every day. And he says in chapter 31st, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, what Paul is teaching us, he's saying, don't get stuck on the conceptual. That is really good. Learn about that. Those things are going to sustain what I'm going to tell you now. But there are some implications in your real life. To know God is not equal to go to the seminary or go to college and learn about God and get a theology uh, degree. They are not the same. God, to know God, means that he is changing, transforming your life every day. And the second half of Ephesians talks about that. And this verse says, get rid. Now, what does get rid mean? What, what tense is this verb on? It's in present tense. Is Paul thinking that the Ephesians don't know Jesus? That their sins have not already been wiped out in the cross? No. He believes, he tells them throughout the letter that they are his brethren in Christ. They have been saved, yet they still need to get rid of bitterness. It is an act that the church of the Ephesians had to do every day. And it's an act that each one of us have to deal with every day. It is not that it is not saying that, oh, my sins have been forgiven because in 1948 I raised my hand and I prayed a prayer. Paul is bringing that to your everyday life. You have to deal with sin every day. And you have to get rid of it. And it's a daily battle. It's something that I have to deal with every day. So this daily battle, he's stating, we have the power to get rid of bitterness. And he continues in the next verse, 
Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. That's, that's, that's nice, right? We, we, need to, we need to be better human beings. We need to get along better. Let's look at the next words. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, this verse is missing, the translation in English actually is missing a conjunction in there that uh, says instead or but. So, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. No, the phrase that, I, that interests me here is forgiving. Forgiving each other. Now, we had an exercise in this, when I was in the seminary. There was this preacher who came to uh, the seminary, and he, uh, he was invited to, to preach, and during, he didn't know any of us. But at some point, he asked us all to get up and, and look around. We all look around, he said. And while you're looking around, find that one person that has offended you. <laughs> uh, that was very, very personal. I was, I was studying the Word. I thought I was, you know, getting close to God because, you know, I'm, I'm in seminary after all. And then he made me realize right then and there that I was holding something against, against one person in that room. In that very room I was studying. A person that I was dealing with every day. But I was hurt inside by the actions of that person. Forgiving each other, it says, just as. And here it's putting the bar very high. It's not saying, well, Forgive each other, you know. It's, you're going to get along better. It's going to be a better church if we do though. so, right? No. It's saying you need to forgive each other, just us, in the same manner, in the same way, in the same way that God forgave you. Just as God forgave you, if God has forgiven you all of your sins, you need to forgive all the offenses that have been made against you. Now, it also mentions he, here this little phrase that I find it very interesting. It says, in Christ. In Christ. And I find that to be actually the heart of all this conversation because it is in Christ that God forgave you. Now I'm going to make an analogy that probably might not be 100% correct, but all the analogy, not, no analogy is 100% correct, right? So some of the uh, parables that our Lord told, um, sometimes we want to take some of the details and say, well, that detail doesn't make sense, right? But that's not the point because it's, it's just an analogy of the greater truth. So I, I want to try to bring this with an analogy. Let's say that 
we have here um, Gladys, just trying to pick a name that I don't see. Gladys is a liar. She has lied repeatedly throughout her life. She has made, he has told many, many, many lies. She's a liar. She has offended God. And on this side, we have, I was going to say Bill, but I, I'll use Peter. <laughs> on this side, we have Peter. And Peter is proud. He has the sin of pride. He considers himself better than everybody else. And he treats everybody else as less than him. And here in the middle, we have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes to earth, is God taking human form. And then he takes all of Gladys's sins, and he takes all of Peter's sin, sins and places them on himself. As if he's confessing, I did all those things. And the wrath of God falls on Jesus, and he gets punished for everything Gladys and Peter did. And all their sins are punished justly in Jesus. And then he turns around to both Gladys and Peter, and he asks them, to repent and come to him. And Gladys, gladly crying, comes, repents from her sins, and comes to Christ. And in Ephesians, actually, it tells us, we, we quoted this a couple of uh, months ago, it tells us that when we come to Jesus, we become one in him, and that's the analogy of the marriage between the church and Jesus. And we're one now, and Gladys comes to Jesus, and now she is in Jesus, because in Jesus we're new creatures, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? So she is now in Jesus, and in Jesus all her sins are forgiven. Jesus died for all of Peter's sins, but he doesn't want to repent. He doesn't want to come to Jesus. He's not in Jesus. So he prefers to continue paying for the, the, the punishment, the consequences of his own sin. Now, this concept of being in Jesus is very powerful because do you, I don't know if you remember the parable that Jesus told about the wedding garments, right? There was this uh, king who wanted to make a, a wedding ceremony or a wedding celebration, right? And he invited some people, and they didn't come. And then he invited more, and they didn't come. And then they went out and grabbed people and brought them in. And, uh, you know, they all came, and they were all there. And the king goes around, and he finds one person in there and says, How did you get in? without the proper garment, right? And I can see that as Jesus going around his church 
and saying, how did you get in without forgiving the person who hurt you? How did you get in? And you know what happened to that person who was found in the wedding without the proper garment? He was thrown out. And we are forgiven as long as we're in Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're churchgoers. It doesn't matter if we went to a seminary. It doesn't matter how much we read our Bibles or even how much we pray. If you're not in Jesus, your sins have not been forgiven. Because our sins are forgiven when we are in Jesus. But if we're in Jesus, then that's the only way that you and I can truly forgive the people who have hurt us. And I don't know who hurt you. You don't know who hurt me. But all of us have this tendency to carry around unforgiving issues. People who have said things, who have done things that have hurt us. And we keep carrying that around. And the Lord is going through his church and he says, how in the world did you get in here without forgiving others? Because that was the condition. God, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. Now, we are... We happen to be studying on Sundays um, the Gospels, and on Wednesdays uh, we were studying Genesis, which is finished. And the story of Joseph has to be a very powerful forgiving story about forgiveness. And it's actually what we use here when there was some friction and tension in the church. Uh, we studied the, the story of, of Joseph, right? And in chapter 50 of Genesis, uh, verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In Spanish, we have a saying that says, only God can forgive sins. I don't know if you have something similar in English. Only God can forgive sins. Well, wait a minute. When we say that, aren't we saying that we can't forgive? And that's usually what we do. But forgiving sins, yes, God can forgive sins. But if you're in Christ, you are given that power that you can also forgive, but only when you are in Jesus, only when you are in Christ. Look at this story of, of Joseph. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He says, I'm not going to be holding grudges against you because I'm not God. 
when you hold grudges against other people, you are putting yourself in the place of God because he is the only one who can judge. You intended to harm me, he says, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, what I see here is that Joseph forgave his brothers before they came to ask for forgiveness. And the first principle I find in forgiveness is that forgiveness is not conditional. Well, if she comes and, and begs for forgiveness, I'll, I'll consider it. Or if she says, forgive me, but now the way she said it was, or the way he said it was, no, he didn't meant it, so I'm not going to forgive. Forgiveness is not conditional. If you are in Christ, you need to forgive everything that everybody has done to you. It's not dependent on how they ask or if they ask. When the father, in the story of the son who spent all the father's money and went away and then came back, I don't know if you noticed the figure of the father. When the son comes back, it says, and the father saw him from the distance. How did the father saw him from the distance? Because the father was waiting for him to come. The father had forgiven him. He made his plan in his mind. He said, I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, forgive me, father, because I have sinned against you. But the father had already forgiven him way before he said those words. And they jumped into each other's arms because the forgiveness had happened before it was asked for. In the cross, Jesus forgave, paid for all of your sins way before you asked for forgiveness. So forgiveness is not conditional. Also, forgiveness does not minimize the fault. We have the tendency to say, well, it was just a small thing. Uh, or when we ask for forgiveness, we have the tendency to, to, to try to excuse our behavior and say, well, you know, I was, I was drunk. I hope you don't say this. I was drunk that day, right? <laughs> um, but we tend to say, well, but you insulted me first, or, or, or you did all these things before I did them, right? Trying to minimize my guilt into the matter. But when we see the cross, because all these passages say that we need to forgive the same way that God forgave us. And when we see the cross, we see that God's forgiveness was after a huge punishment of Jesus on the cross. He didn't minimize the fault. He didn't say, Father, it's Easter. Why don't we do a, a you know, weekend holiday, uh, feel good, and uh, do a two-for-one prize. No. God pour, poured all his wrath on Jesus, and he died paying for every sin that you committed. The fault was not minimized, yet he was willing to take that punishment instead of us. To forget a sin is not to forgive. 
we tend to put it in the back of our mind. I'm not going to think about that anymore. It's, going to, it's hurting me. It's hurting me. I'm not going to think about it. It's not about forgetting what happened. It's about forgiving. Forgiveness does not remember the fault. Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, saying, and for I will not remember their sins anymore, or I will remember their sins no more. Now, the question is, is forgiveness necessary for Christians? Now, I'll take you back to Matthew chapter 6, if you were following there. I did not read on purpose the whole, the whole uh, passage because I stopped on verse 14 that says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But let me conclude reading the next verse. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know how more clear can this truth be. If there's something in your heart against somebody else, there's two explanations. One, you're not in Christ. Or, you are in Christ, but you're fighting against. You're fighting hard to keep control of your own life. Lord, it is okay for you to be the king, be the Lord of everything else, but leave my feelings alone. I need them. I need to have this grudge for the rest of my life because it, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel in control. Don't fight against God. God wants to forgive all of your sins. But when you move to be in Christ, then your heart needs to be healed too. And I don't know what your situation today is. I don't know if there's something against your parents, something against your children, something against somebody at work, in school. But if you're in Christ, please let the Lord heal your heart. Forgive. Forgive in the same way that God forgave you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing this very serious passage be part of your revelation to us. Because it tells us how serious this issue is for you. If you did everything to forgive me for my sins, who am I? to hold a grudge against somebody else. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I ask you, I beg you, that your kingdom come to my life and your name be hallowed by me forgiving every person, every action that has been done against me. And I do it not because I'm better, not because I feel good today, but because I'm thankful because you forgave me much more than any man 
can do to me. And we ask because the Lord Jesus, in his name we come, because he told us to pray this way, that you forgive us our sins in the same way we're forgiving the sins of others.